Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we learn from members about the property sector and at the same time, get to know your industry colleagues a little bit better. Hi, my name is Chelsea and today we're interviewing Claire O'Rourke. My guest today is co-founder and partner at Bluebird Property Group, Claire O'Rourke. She is one half of a dynamic pair of property professionals who started Bluebird in late 2018. Since then, the business has grown and established a solid client base, including some other UDIA members, delivering consultancy and other services to bring projects to fruition. At the end of 2020, Bluebird's current projects had a projected project value of $1.23 billion. The company had 115 completed dwellings under its belt and $62.5 million of completed project value. That is an impressive feat for a business that was celebrating its second birthday in 2020. After working for Mervac and RA Property Group, Claire spent three years overseas in London working on a multi-million dollar mixed-use scheme. When she came back to Australia, she landed a role at Lendlease before finally making the leap to start her own company. As a working parent, she has a lot on her plate, so our sincere thanks for being our guest on The Development Drum. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Charles. It's lovely to be here. So I guess the purpose of this podcast is to get to know our industry colleagues a bit better and learn about how you spend your days, what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning and be part of the Queensland property industry. So I'd like to start with some warm-up questions about (laughs) your uh, day-to-day life. So tell us what a typical day looks like for you. So at Bluebird, we work for a variety of development clients. So our clients can be delivering projects that might range from six apartments in Brisbane to 600 apartments in terms of high-rise buildings. We're pretty diverse in terms of locations as well. Sometimes they're at the Sunshine Coast, sometimes down the Gold Coast, but yeah, mainly focused around southeast Queensland. And so a typical day could be going out to site and keeping an eye on the builder and where they're at in terms of their construction program and going through and having a look at the design program with them. So we do regular audits of all of our sites and undertake regular site visits. It might be working with a sales team who are bringing a project to launch. So we're working on that at the moment um, with the project over at St Lucia where we're working through the sales process with some real estate agents and really refining all the marketing collateral and making sure we've got fantastic collateral to take that out and to, to sell that product. And we're also working really hard at the moment with our clients in the acquisition space. So going out there, sourcing sites and knocking on doors and trying to drum up some new development opportunities and so I spend a lot of my time running feasibilities (laughs) and assessing the development potential and what can be delivered on those sites and do a fair bit of negotiation with landowners as well and to meeting with local councillors we've got a meeting coming up with Krista Adams soon to start talking through some other development sites and and we do hold a lot of pre-lodgement meetings with council and really try to engage with them as well so every day is different it's it's a very varied a lot of variety in the work that we do but that is what makes it fun there's everything that we do is just diverse and and challenging but we get to work with lots of great people and lots of really inspiring consultants and clients to deliver these projects and yeah it's a lot of fun I I've, it's yeah I don't think you can really call it work if you enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> no I don't think you can so you have a beautiful office on James Street thank you uh, after some Instagram stalking so how many people <laughs> are behind
behind the curtains <laughs> these days. So in our team, there is six of us, but that space in particular we've got is a co-working space. So we partnered up with another developer. Frank Developments is in there with his team. Motive Group, which is a project sales and marketing, also operate out of that office. Um, and we've also got Tribe, which is a creative media agency in there. So it's bursting at the seams at the moment, um, but it's a fantastic and inspiring place to work because there's just a lot of different types of businesses in there. We all share ideas and, and collaborate together on projects as well, which has been really fun. So it's, yeah, it's, we're, it's, we're two years into, or no, a year into it now. Um, but yeah, we're bursting in the seams. <laughs> I think that's always the case when you grow. And I saw you're recruiting at the moment too we for are. a couple of roles. So you have a young family. What does it look like? Quickly rush to, you know, childcare drop off or school drop off, grab a coffee, get to the (laughs) office. What am I doing today? Walk back out the door, go to a site. Exactly. So Rier and I, my business partner Rier, we have four under four okay. kids. So the juggle is real. It's a, yes. it's a very hectic life that we lead. But look, that's part of the reason why we started our own business. We wanted that flexibility to be able to work around our families and also deliver something that we could be really proud and to show our kids about you know the, the benefits of working hard and following your dreams and, 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 and creating that life for yourself. So they are a huge inspiration for us in terms of why we do what we do but yeah it is it's tough especially last year the business was a year old and I had twin boys and it was a lot of sleep deprivation (laughs) that went with all of that but equally we started Bluebird when Ria's second child was only six months old so she's been through all that as well and yeah it is it's tough but we just wouldn't have it any other way yeah. Tough but worth it. Tough so but worth it. What did COVID look like for you? Was it kitchen table baby on one hip? Yeah, pretty Mo- much. Lots of ABC kids <laughs> going in the background while you're on the phone to builders? Or? So the boys would have been about four months old when okay. COVID hit. No ABC kids. Then. No ABC little bit kids. Small. <laughs> a little bit too small. We did try the wiggles. Um, but, yeah, they, they were still very much in that newborn phase, So which was a tough phase, you know, not sleeping through. And, um, yeah, like that newborn phase was really challenging. But each phase is challenging then they go into the you know the crappy teething phase and the pooing in the bath phase yeah. and then they just go when you th- think you've got them figured out they change their behavior exactly exactly and you have to come up with a new That's strategy right. so, so how do you think it is being a working parent in the property industry is it any yeah. less hard more hard than working somewhere else uh, i think it's pretty oh look it's hard but you know everyone's life is busy and challenging and all of that. And we've got really lovely clients that are respectful of, you know, Rhea's oldest is at school now. So there's three o'clock is pick up. And, you know, she really wants to make sure that she's there at that time to be there for her daughter. Um, So most of our clients have got young families as well and everyone's fairly flexible and and okay with that. It does mean that sometimes we'll have to sort of switch off early, but then log back on later at night. So that juggle is there. But we'd love to be able to grow the business to a point where sometimes it will sustain without us working those big long hours. Yes, that's <laughs> the dream. It's not quite there yet. But look, yeah, COVID for us last year was was a good time to really spend that time with the family because it was locked down and there wasn't a, a lot happening. Like the, the industry was pretty quiet, which was scary for a small business. But we were really lucky that we had existing clients that saw us through that time. So we had good contracts in place that kept us busy. But in terms of securing new work, we basically just had to push our forecast out by six months and projects that were supposed to be starting construction just got delayed by a few months which 
was which was disappointing. But it, we took that time to also just double down and focus really hard on on our marketing. We rebranded, we relaunched our website, we really worked hard to continue to stay in front of people so that when the lights did turn back on, they were ready and they were ready to hire that we were there and front of mind. So yeah, there was that sort of six month period where it was pretty challenging, but by by sort of August, things really did, or even earlier than that, sort of June, July, things started to get busy again. And by August, September, we were hiring. And, and then by November, we'd pretty much locked in our financial targets for that financial year. So it was tough and it was scary, but I think JobKeeper did its job and, yeah. and kept out, definitely helped keep our business afloat and the rest of the economy. And for those clients that did hold their nerve and kept building, it was great. So we were still able to complete about 115 dwellings last year. And, you know, we really were able to, to create a, quite a sustainable business, which was really exciting that got us, you know, ready to launch into 2021. And now it just feels like it's just been that sort of rubber band effect. Everyone was holding back in 2020 yes. and now it's just, it's just, it's all been yeah, launched. launched into 2021. It has. So I'd love to know what the catalyst was for you starting Bluebird with 3Air. What made you decide three years ago that we're just going to give it a give it a burn <laughs> <Make> the leap exactly <laughs> we get asked this question a lot and i think it was you know we were both fairly progressed in our careers and had fantastic jobs with some two very you know well-known corporate developers and very satisfied there delivering some great iconic projects and you know had had fantastic teams that we were working with but we just really needed to take that next step in our careers and and I guess we're big advocates of you've only got one life so it's not a dress rehearsal you just got to you know do what you want to do and make the most of it so we we really thought it was you know time to take that step up and, and take the leap which we did and it was also part of just seeing you know a gap in the market for development management services that were were holistic in our approach so that we're able to provide end-to-end -end services for small developers and corporate developers that they could turn on and off so for us we're about you know an outsourced development model which allows developers and clients to upskill their teams on at during times when they they need extra resources and they don't want to bring on a full-time development manager and so we might get engaged to run the whole project or just certain phases of that project. And so I think that was a, a real gap in the market where people just needed a resource to help out at certain times and really upskill, you know, the team. And so that's that's our service that we offer to people is that we become part of the project team. We become embedded in the project with them. And, you know, we've got that sense of care about every phase of it. We take that holistic lens with it. It's not just about getting the cheapest construction price or it's about understanding the product that you you bring to the market and from a sales and marketing perspective so it's that it's that having a broader understanding of the development process i think really does is our point of difference and is i don't really see it being offered out there in the market at the moment okay. and and did you have a plan b or was it plan a and plan a and nothing else if it failed that that's it. Yeah, that was, it. that was pretty much it. It was sink or swim. So we, yeah, it was literally bake that jump and and make it work. Don't look back. Don't look back. Exactly right. Don't look how far down it is. It's exactly <laughs> right. And and there's no regrets. I think the hardest decision is making the decision to leave. And then once you make that choice, you go, oh, this isn't that bad. Not as scary as I thought it would Not be. As, exactly. And within that first few months, like we managed to secure the Queen's Wharf 
contract, which was fantastic for our business. And I think once we had that in place, we went, okay, we can do this. And it just gave us that confidence to keep moving forward and, and going on securing more contracts. And yeah. So is Queenswolf your first ever Bluebird client then? Uh, I wouldn't say it was our first. It was our biggest, definitely. And it really set us up for sort of a long-term engagement. There were sort of smaller clients where we helped on on small parts of the project. But in terms of scale, that was definitely our biggest and I think what really launched us um, into the market as a brand. Okay. So I think we've had a chat on the phone previously about uh, a net zero emission project you have on the cards. Can you please tell me more? Well, so for Bluebird, one of our core pillars is sustainability. And we'll be launching our sustainability framework this year to really demonstrate how we do development better and how we really want to inspire the rest of the community and the industry to to really have good sustainability targets that are deliverable. We're keen to develop a, a carbon neutral building and I don't know that we'll do that in our first job, in our first project, but for us it's about having making incremental changes in the way we design and deliver our buildings that will eventually get us there. So it's looking at energy systems, it's looking at the materials, it's looking at the design of the building and the waste strategies of those buildings. and. It's showing the industry that there is a better way of doing things. It's not just about being, you know, cheap and or even luxurious. It's about realising that as developers, we have a responsibility to really reduce our carbon footprint and leave a positive legacy for our kids and for, for the community. And so we're working on that one at the moment. It's still in the documentation phase, but we will be lodging a DA with council over the next month or so for that and we're really excited about bringing that to the market and, and and really showcasing our skills in the sustainability space. I think certainly there's been a shift in the community about being more committed to sustainability mm-hmm. but I think there's that real question of how and I think yeah. almost it gets lumped in that that too hard basket. Yeah. From our research, we know that, you know, people love the idea of solar panels, mm. the social esteem value of being, oh, look, I'm offsetting my air That's conditioner right. use as well as the ability to really make your mark and exactly. I think everyone sees that if everyone makes a change that has a, a bigger impact and ripples out from there. That's exactly right and I think it'll be two seconds before the market is demanding that as well. People are not going to be able to rely on the governments to legislate these sorts of things but I think there'll be market demand for it and that's what's going to change developers' attitudes in terms of the product that they develop because people people want it, they demand it and people have a social conscience now and they realise that they can't just have this um, constant waste and um, obsolescence in buildings anymore. We need to be thinking smarter about the way we're designing things. So for us, it's a huge part of our business now. It's how we operate. We want to go paperless. We want to make sure all of our staff are on board with this new mantra. And we want to be able to report it back to the industry and show the industry that there's actual key measurable targets and metrics in place that we're delivering on as well. And also that it's possible, I suppose, so you can see someone else doing it and go, well, if they can do it. Exactly. Surely we can. And for us, it's about having having a real purpose in what we do. It's about not just delivering the next beautiful, iconic, luxurious building. It's about delivering buildings that actually um, sort of give more than they take and actually leave you know positive, lasting legacies in their communities that we that we operate in. 
I think that's beautiful. Uh, and I think that's something well worth pursuing Thank and good on both you and Ria and your team for that. And it's recognising also that, sorry to interrupt, but that sustainability is not just about environmental sustainability. It's about the communities that we're creating and that we're building in. So the buildings need to have elements of connection and, you know, the bump-in factor and making sure that they're all living in a fantastic environment but having that social connection and also being respectful of the communities um, and the neighbours and not just coming in and saying, oh, we're here, we're bulldozing and we're kicking existing residents out of buildings or anything. It's about working with those residents, helping them to find, you know, new opportunities and also respectfully communicating what we're doing to all of the neighbours in the area. So it's about that social sustainability as well as environmental sustainability. But then there's also the, the economic and financial sustainability of our projects that we look at too in terms of how we're giving back and investing back into those neighbourhoods. So for us, it's, it's, it's the whole spectrum. It's not, just, it's not just one element. We just want to consider that in, in every building that we do. It's the people. It's how we give back. It's how we you know, reduce our carbon footprint. It's all of those things. Well, I mean, I did do a deep dive on your Instagram and your website, uh, I won't lie. So I can see that you do value authentic community engagement and good design, and you've touched on that engagement from the social sustainability mm. perspective. From our research on community engagement, we've put a lot of effort into that. We mm -hmm. spent about 1.5 years uh, yeah. on qualitative research with the community. And then after that, we decided that wasn't hard enough, um, yeah. solving the community <laughs> engagement Issues that obviously have existed and created tension in communities when mm. developers come in to deliver new housing. We wanted to know how they felt about performance-based planning. Mm. So, like, cool, we've conquered community engagement and performance-based planning was about another year and a half in mm. qualitative research. And, I mean, we learned a lot of things out of that. But one of the main ones was that they want performance-based planning. Mm -hmm. We don't describe it very well as industry or yeah. as government, but they see it as the solution to cookie-cutter design. Mm. So how do you or do you approach DAs for impact accessible developments differently? Do you put more effort into community engagement or do you treat everything like it's impact accessible and yeah. you go in hard on community engagement? Yeah, we are huge advocates of community engagement. It's it's just a it's just a non-negotiable for us in the way we do our business and, and the way we operate. It's about getting in, in front of the community as early as possible. And whether that's impact accessible or a code accessible DA, we think it's just a it's just the right thing to do. And we find that by being authentic and open and transparent with what we're doing, there's less fear and anger towards the project and the developer. So we feel like people are pretty smart. They're very savvy. They're information hungry. They can get a lot of this information on the internet anyway. So for us, it's about dispelling those myths and getting setting the facts straight up front and giving them the information that they need to, to really understand the project. And to understand the environment, like whether or not it's the, the planning legislation, whether it's, you know, you're allowed to do three stories here, so yes, we're doing four, but this is the reason why. It's about, you know, explaining the benefits of the project. You know, it's a dilapidated building, we're enhancing the streetscape, we're giving back you know, more public open space than we need to. It's about really just selling the, the key benefits of a project to them so that they've got all the information, that it's not just about overdevelopment or de densification. It's about enhancing the community as well. And also getting their feedback that, you know, like often we will go and talk to residents and stand in there, have a cup of coffee in their house, and they'll say, look, I'm really concerned about that aspect or that view, or, you know, I love that big tree. And, I, and we go, well, we'll keep that tree and we'll... Maybe 
Canberra will sort of set the building back a little bit further so that you can still keep that view through. And it's about taking their feedback on board and not just doing it as a box ticking exercise, but doing it genuinely and genuinely listening and doing it early in the process where there's time to actually take that feedback and embed it in the design. I think too often we see developers that do it the three days before they lodge their DA. There's nothing authentic or genuine about that. But we also see it as an opportunity that some of those residents have lived in the area for a really long time. They know more about the site than we do. So it's really great to learn that heritage and try and embed some of those stories into the design as well. And an opportunity just to get to know our neighbours. And we find sometimes we sell, sell apartments through, through the process. People are like, oh, I can't wait. This looks fantastic. When can I buy one? So it's, it's about dispelling myths, creating advocates for the project and just really making, uh, feeling that you're connecting with the community, that you're, you're you're developing in and for us it's about you know having the right brand but it's not just about the first project it's the next one and the next one and we want to be able to embed that trust in them that they know we're going to do the right thing. It's such a lovely story there's other developers who've actually come into communities that uh, sit on our industry leaders research group who have had communities that are completely anti-development mm. and then by the time they leave they've converted them to mm. uh, purchases yes uh, in the property <laughs> next door which just seems you know would have I guess you know three years ago seemed mind-boggling to yeah. a lot of members that you could actually shift someone that far on the spectrum to yes. be pro-development next door. So That's right. I think sometimes people see developers as greedy and, and you know, not having a not caring and I think it's nice to be able to show that human element that actually we do really care and we and we want to help and we want to do better and we want to really ensure that it's a win-win for everyone. It's working with you and alongside you to make sure that the outcomes work for all of us and, and to be able to convert people to advocates is something that we love because it can be a really positive process and it should be. Yeah, no, I, I really value community engagement. It's great to hear that you guys are very committed to it. Uh, I do want to just shift gears for a minute and talk a bit, a little bit about where the property sector's going. So mm-hmm. I hope you can dust off the crystal ball in your handbag <laughs> and tell me what you think is happening in 2021. So 2021 is shaping up to a really strong year. I think there's the the sentiment that we're getting is just a really improved confidence and optimism in the southeast Queensland market. And I think we've had a fairly sort of flat growth over the last 10 years and it's about time. It's our time. (laughs) So we're seeing a lot of interstate migration, a lot of um, Sydney and Melbourne people moving up. Um, Projects are selling really well. The demand for property up here has been, is hotter than ever. It's incredible to see just, you know, from six months ago to where we are now. It, I, I knew it would turn. I didn't know it would turn this quickly. We were forecasting more sort of the second half of this year. And we were ex- really encouraging our clients last year to get market ready, get out there, buy sites, get DAs approved, because when it turns in Brisbane, it turns very quickly. And that's exactly what's happened. So I think those developers that are there with the DA approved sites right now, they will do incredibly well. And we're seeing it um, already. All of the projects are selling out um, really, really quickly. Everyone's scrambling now to find sites and to get going, which is which is really fantastic. And I think this has got another two or three years to run. I think it's going to be a good time for South East Queensland, particularly in the in the residential space. There, where there hasn't been, we've sort of worked through that supply 
five at, from 2015, 16, 17. So I think the market has worked through that now. Um, we're seeing good growth in terms of the median house price, and that is really what drives apartment pricing. Um, once you start to see that median house price go, then the apartment market will start going behind it. And equally, the rental market has been going extremely strong. So we're really seeing that rental growth, which is hopefully going to start bringing investors back into the market because they have been the missing key, missing piece for this for the last little while. The owner-occupier market has been going really strong. It was big thanks to the home builder grant last year. So the first home buyer market, the house and land market was going extremely well and still continues and, you know, developers were running out of registered land pretty quickly. So I think the next stage is really going to be this apartment market. We'll start to really see some good traction in that this year. And, you know, with the announcement of the Brisbane as the preferred um, proponent for the Olympic Games, that's just going to continue to grow the Brisbane story here. We're seeing huge amounts happening in Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast. Like those lifestyle locations have just gone off like a firecracker. They're very hot right now. They're very hot right now. So there's, and we don't do a huge amount in those areas. We have a couple of projects, but they're, they're, it's incredible. Everyone's now pretty keen to go and find those, find more of those sites. So I think 2021, my crystal ball is looking for a very positive year. There's going to be some good, good price growth. I think we'll see investors come back into the market. And I think, yeah, we're we're on for a really fantastic trajectory. And it's, it's a time now for people to, really be getting the right people around them, getting the right resources, finding the right sites and making sure that the, the product that they're developing is going to be sort of market-facing, get ready for that for that next that next wave of demand. And, yeah, we're, we're pretty optimistic about this year. I think uh, everyone's feeling a bit uh, positive and buoyant about it and mm-hmm. I think it's certainly a nice change from what was the basket case of 2020. <laughs> I certainly hear a lot of people saying post-COVID and I'm like, well, technically still living with COVID, but uh, I think they're clinging to the hope that we can kind of make some progress this year and, and move on. I think you're right, actually. Like, it's important to remember that we are still in the middle of a global pandemic and Brisbane is in southeast Queensland's in a nice little bubble. Australia's in a nice bubble and then southeast Queensland's in an even better bubble. But so we, we, are, we sh- should say we're cautiously optimistic. It doesn't take much for things to turn as we saw last year another outbreak another shutdown another border closure it it does it can happen and so and the market is all about driven by confidence and once we lose that confidence it can happen quickly so for us it's yes let's make hay while the sun shines but just remember that the market is cyclical and as much as things go and they can run quite hard you just need to be really careful about what's on the other side so still be really certain about your feasibilities and the sites that you're buying yes there's going to be a bit of price grows but there will also be construction cost growth through that so we always have that lens on our on our projects it's you know the market will not continue to do this forever so you just you need to be prepared for when things do start to plateau well it's been lovely talking to you claire i really appreciate the time you've given to us today and all the best for 2021 thanks chelsea thanks for having me Thanks for listening to the UDA Queensland's Development Drum podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And if you want to hear more episodes, visit udiaqld.com.au forward slash podcasts and send us your comments and questions via marketing at udiaqld.com.au. Remember to subscribe, rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. We'll be releasing a new episode every month. So we look forward to having you back.